0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every month for our council meeting, the the council members are all supposed to fill out a monthly report so that we can all read what's going on. And one one of the items in that is a list, what I hope to accomplish before our next meeting. This past month, I put a new item on my list that I have never put on it before. That new task, clean my office. (laughs) I figured if I put it in writing, then I'll actually have to do it. And me mentioning it here is just doubling down on that. Because it's one of those things that it's really easy to put off. And if you've seen my office, the bookcases or the, the piles all around, you can tell that I'm really good at putting that off. And plus, if I clean it, well then, I'll have moved everything and I won't know where everything is. So I'm really glad I didn't clean it before this, preparing for this sermon. Because because ten months ago, I was listening to a podcast while I was driving. And I heard about this tightrope walker named uh, uh, Charles Blondine. And I thought he would be a really good illustration for faith. So I jot a little note on the piece of paper that was there in my car. And when I got to the office, I I put that note on my desk. I know it was 10 months ago because the piece of paper was a pickup receipt from BJ's for Camp South. And so for 10 months on my desk, probably getting moved a couple of times, but there's been this note that says, Blondine Tightrope Walker Carrying Manager. So the, the story... Uh, June 30th, 1859, Charles Blondine walked across Niagara Falls on a 1,300 foot long, two inch diameter rope. He did it with no safety net, no harness, no uh, rescue crew. He would either make it across that rope or he would die right? I mean, those were the only two options. And, and so, so on that day, he started walking across that rope. About halfway through, he sat down, sat down on the rope right above the Maid of the Mist tourist boat that was down below. He, he threw down some fishing line and pulled up a bottle of wine took a drink, and then got up and kept, kept on walking. He was a showman, and, and he made it. And he made it interesting. The, the 25,000 spectators that, that were there watching it were actually placing bets on whether he would live or die. And the smart money was, was that he wouldn't make it. But he made it. And, and he immediately started planning for future events. And, and each time, he did something even more spectacular. Next time he did it at night. The time after that he did it blindfolded. Then he pushed a wheelbarrow across. And when he got to the other side, the people were all cheering and he asked them, do you think that I could make it across pushing one of you in in the wheelbarrow? They said, yeah, we think you can do it. And then he said, okay, who wants to get in? No one. He went back empty. But eventually, he got a, a passenger. It was his manager. Harry Colcord, his promoter, who who knew that each time, if they wanted to keep bringing the crowds, if they wanted to keep getting the write-ups in the big papers, well, they had to keep pushing the envelope, and this would certainly do that. So, the eighth time he made the trip, Harry Colcord climbed up onto his back. And as they got ready to to go out onto that 1,300-foot-long, two-inch, rope that was just tied to two trees, one on, on either side. As they got ready to go out where the, the wind gusts in the middle over the Niagara Falls there can gust up to 70 miles an hour, where the mist is constantly blowing, where the rope would be swaying as as Colcord was ready for this ride across into what, well, let me read what uh, the New York Times uh, about this. It called it a reckless and aimless exposure of life and actually was was, was chastising the crowds for gawking at a fellow creature in deadly peril. As they headed out into all that, Blondine turned to his manager and said, don't worry. Think of the words with which Jesus starts our text today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'd submit to you that those words probably came across about like Blondine telling this man who could very soon die, don't worry. You see, because Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples the night that he was arrested and he had told them what was going to happen. He had just told them that one of them would actually betray him to his enemies. He had told them that he would only be with them for a little while longer, and then, then they wouldn't be able to find him. They would seek him and not find him. When he was going, they couldn't go right now. He had just told them that Peter, the rock, would deny even knowing him. That's how bad it was going to get. And then his next words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Easier said than done, right? I mean, even for us, we haven't had to sit there and watch our Savior be arrested and beaten and, and crucified. We, we didn't have to go through that. But even for us, with the twenty twenty hindsight, we know how everything that happened during Holy Week turned out for us. I mean, I, I heard you say it at the beginning of the service. Christ is risen. So why is it, if that's true, that you understand completely how hard it is to not let your hearts be troubled? I'll tell you why. It's because the wind blows. The rope of life looks so unstable. The, the the loss hurts. The sickness weakens. The pain is real. The pressures are high. The reporter witnessing our lives could very easily describe it as that certain peril. You know the brokenness that sin has brought into your own heart and your own life. Whether Whether that's the the hurt that your uh, addiction has caused to the the, the people that care about you or the pain that that your failure has brought into your relationship, whether that's the the, the gossip that you share or the the, the bitterness that that you hold, the grudge that that, that you maintain or or, or the the harshness or the crashness or, or whatever it is, of course our hearts should be troubled. Especially if we consider that we're going to have to stand in front of a holy God and answer for all of those things. Yet Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You see, because he has already given the only acceptable answer to that holy God. He goes on, he says, believe in in God, believe also in me. Trust me. Like Blondine to his manager. Don't worry. I've got this. Except Jesus has given us way more reason to trust him than just a couple of successful tightrope walks. Remember, Christ is risen. He proved his victory. But, but this is, he's saying this before he has died and risen. So, so look at what he points to. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. It's like watching a prequel movie after you've already seen the sequel, right? You know that everybody's going to be fine. They'll they'll turn out all right because, hey, I've seen the sequel. I I see them. They, They made it, right? It's like reading the last chapter of a book first. And seeing the happy ending and then going back. And you can handle the ups and downs a little bit more comfortably with all of those characters. Because, well, you know how it ends up. Jesus is telling you here how it ends up. We have an eternity in heaven's mansions waiting for us. I've known a couple of families that had to wait while their house was being built. One of them, the whole family moved into the basement of their in-laws for almost a year while they were waiting for their house to be built. No natural light, way too small, not enough room, all tensions of family drama being in that close quarters. It wasn't ideal. There was another family that that moved into one of those those pop-up trailer tent things, you know what I'm talking about? For more than that, for more than a year, waiting for their house to be built. Neither of those situations were great. Neither of those those families would have said, hey, this is what we want. But they were willing to do it. They made it through. They handled it because they knew what was coming. They could always look forward. Hey, soon we'll be in our big house with the wonderful backyard and all of this room and and, and the freedom. And so keeping that in mind, they were able to deal with the the, the struggles that, that took place along the way. So when your heart wants to be troubled living here in this temporary place. When you want to get frustrated about the things that don't go like you'd like them to go or the conveniences that you don't have. Remember this. Remember what Jesus says we have coming. He has made all the preparations. He has done all that was needed so that we could have our heavenly homes waiting for us. Homes that will never wear out. And just so that we can be absolutely sure and certain of this, just so that we can understand this better, well, the disciples jumped in. And they demonstrated how they were misunderstanding it. And gave a chance to hear Jesus' answers. Look at Thomas in verse 5. Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How, how, how do we know the, the way? I mean, this isn't going to work. I mean, you're, these are riddles to us. And then Jesus makes it so clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, it's not a matter of figuring out how to follow Jesus to find the way. He is the way. He's not just the one who shows us the way to live. He is the way. And he's not just the one who gives us truth or guides us into truth. He does things, but he is the truth. And he's not just the one who makes our lives better or shows us what a good life looks like. He is the life. Only in him. Not where he leads or what he brings, but only in him. In Christ alone, like we'll sing in our, our last hymn. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. Like Jesus said, in our, or like Peter said in our first reading. Salvation is found in no one else. Like both of our other readings, describe Jesus as the cornerstone that you either trip over or you build on. It's one or the other. He is the only way to God, to the holy, pure, and just Because only he can give us holiness and righteousness and perfection. Because only he lived that perfect life for us. And only he died to pay our eternal price. Our efforts will always fall short. Even trying to live for him in thanks, as hard as we try, we won't be perfect because we're not perfect. You see, that, that was kind of the misunderstanding then behind really both of the disciples' questions. Right? Thomas wants to know, well, where are you going? What do I have to do? How do I follow? How do I follow? And, and, and Philip, after Jesus says, no, it's just me. It's just knowing me. Philip kind of has the angle of, well, there's got to be something more. Right? Jesus had just said what he said, and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Can you understand that? This is too easy. There's got to be something more. Like like the person who says, I'm not going to believe until I see a miracle. Or the person who says, well, until God speaks to me directly, it's like Philip here, there's got to be something more. And Jesus' response is, no, I am enough. He says, I and the Father are one. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. Our minds can't understand it, but Jesus is God. And and when we look somewhere else to see something more, we will miss it. I know it's natural. We always want proof, right? It's like looking at our lives and saying, okay... If God's really mine, if, 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 if this is all good, well then my life will show it, right? My, uh, my job will be successful, my relationship will be strong, my, 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 my kids will be good, and, 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 and health will be great. Whatever other metrics we put on it. But you see, the problem with that is that's not what Jesus promised. He promised eternal life. And a life here that is rich because we know that eternal life is coming, even if this life gives us some trials. Jesus is enough because he is the way. When Charles Blondine's manager climbed onto his back that day, Charles did say more than just don't worry. He gave him some very specific instructions for how they were going to make it across. Let me read those to you. This is from the book uh, about Blondine written in 1862. He said, Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. Until we clear this, be a part of me. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our deaths. You see what he was saying? Trust me. Let me handle this. Anything you do to try to take control of the situation will, will just cause problems. Sound familiar? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not what we do. It's who he is. So let's trust him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is enough. After all, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.